at SFM Radio and at Pimelo Mutile on Twitter. Okay, so it's it's a lesson for me, for you, for all of us. Um, it's important for us to be better informed, to be more equipped with what kind of laws are passed and how they're going to affect us. So uh, the president uh, the other day um, decided to talk to us about, he wrote in his letter about the three bills that he's uh, put forward to parliament for, for us to look at, to be reviewed. Um, this is in line, uh, in, it's in line with his plan to, to assist us in curbing gender-based violence. So Ignatius France is an advocacy and training manager at the Justice Desk who is joining us really very graciously for the entire hour to take our questions to better educate us around all the, the three bills that we, we now know of. Thank you so much for joining us, Ignatius. Welcome to the show one more time. Thank you so much for having me, Pamela. So, we, we, I mean, we, we stopped short of just uh, coming out of your explanation around the, 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 the functionaries being able to report gender-based violence and it being something um, that is incumbent on them, as well as all other people who observe gender-based violence and that we, we ourselves are also asked to be responsible and report what we see or suspect. Yes. Okay. And so I, I think just to... Oh, sorry, yeah? Yes, go ahead. I, I was going to ask, how is this different to what we currently have? So currently, I think in, in terms of the law, mm. um, we, there is a sort of kind of generic obligation on people who, when they see a crime, should actually, you know, go and report it to the police. Mm-hmm. Um but what happens when it comes to issues of domestic violence or gender-based violence in general is that people tend to shy away from that obligation in the sense that they don't want to get involved. It's not my business. Um, even people who have intimate knowledge of such things, you know, uh, in the family uh, setup, those people who have actual evidence or actual knowledge of the abuse that someone is, is, is going through or is suffering through, they now uh, are obliged based on this bill, um, to actually go and report. And if, if it is such a situation where someone who would want to report but is afraid of the consequences of doing so, mm. they can do that anonymously uh, in terms of this bill. And I think that, that, is, that is to help uh, people to be encouraged to take action into their own hands, knowing that you are saving, possibly saving someone's life. Um, by going to the to the police and reporting that, so, so I think that that is a very crucial thing. Yeah. So, so currently, I mean, I could be just misunderstanding you. Currently, was that not an obligation? It, it like I'm saying, it was a generic one. So, mm. when if you are with a, you know, you've witnessed a crime, um, oh, you must, ex- you should actually speak up. Okay. But in the relation, when it comes to especially things on gender-based okay. violence, okay. that was something that we shied away from. Mm. Even when you have witnessed it, mm-hmm. you, you people would w- much rather walk away from that than go to the police because I think it, the process that had been set up prior uh, would then allow because the police must now obviously investigate this case. And there was no protections in in place that would allow you to do that anonymously. Okay. And so a lot of people, even in, in crime general, a lot of people well, are afraid in communities mm. to speak up because they don't want to either be victimized or to be pressurized into doing things that they might not otherwise want to do. Mm-hmm. So now there is that protection that you would get if you had to report it. And anyway, you are now compelled to report it, but you can also decide to remain anonymous. 
you can do that. Yes, you are compelled, but there is there is a system that allows you okay. to re- to remain anonymous. All right. Um, there were other things that related to this bill around the elderly. Yes. Please take us through that. So, yeah, I, I think it's it's more or less the same because um, the elderly and children are categorized almost similarly in the in the bill, where they're talking about the, the you know if an adult person has knowledge of the fact that a child or an elderly person or even a person with um, some kind of psychological um, disability, if I can use that word, um, has been victim of gender-based violence, that that person with that knowledge must then speak up. Um, Especially so if it is a functionary. Again, I think I just need to be clear on the definition of functionaries. Mm -hmm. Yesterday I mentioned police officers. They are not actually part of... They are oh. not actually part of that definition in okay. terms of this bill. Okay, so so then what, what, who who does it include? That, that, so you have your health pro- professionals, you have your social workers, mm-hmm. you have, to a certain extent, people who might be even teachers. Mm. Um, yeah, so it creates... Guardians you know, when, of when sorts. You ha- Come again? It, would it be like a, a guardian kind of category, even if it's temporary, and like a child who goes to nursery school or whatever, and obs- a teacher that observes something? Exactly. So it, it creates that obligation on those people who might have that knowledge um, to actually report it. Okay. Um, even if it's, and, and I think this is the important part, even if it's only a suspicion, mm. you might not have any actual knowledge but based on the behavior of the child or the elderly person or the person with, with um, some kind of mental or physical disability, if it, even if it's just a suspicion, that is sufficient for you to go to a police officer or a social worker who would then have to investigate it. Okay. Then, then Ignatius, what category then do the police fall under? Because we've heard many, many times where people would have gotten up, gone to the police, and then someone says, ah, go sort it out at home, man, it's a domestic affair. So the unfortunate thing is that, um, and I must, I must apologize. So I, I've, I'm examining the bill very yes, closely, I and I, I haven't come across sure. a lot of those things. But obviously, there, there already is an existing obligation in terms of uh, the Domestic uh, Violence Act that on the police to investigate you as as a person who would go and um, lay a charge of domestic violence at the police station. The police are not; it is illegal for them to want to send you away. Okay. So even when they do that, that is actually illegal, and you can lay a charge. Now, obviously, I was saying to a, uh, a colleague of mine, in order for us to actually understand the full scope of what can be done, mm-hmm. when and how, mm-hmm. you'd actually need to have an entire week where you go through all of the different acts and the responsibilities and rights that they give to either the, the victim yeah. or the police officer or the functionary in that in that case. Ignatius, we have to start somewhere. So I, I, I'm okay. happy to have the I'm happy to do the entire hour because I think it's so <laughs> so important. So we'll take the hour. I know that it's a lot, but we'll take the hour. Can you just talk us through the the sex offenders register? What has changed there? So I think okay, I'm I'm sitting with the, all three of them here. Okay. I think what 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 has come out for that one is, um, let, in fact, let me tell you the story. So there, a few years ago, there mm-hmm. was a gentleman who was arrested in Cape Town um, on child molestation charges. Yes, and it what turned out out of that investigation was this man came, I think, from Australia or the UK or somewhere else, um, who had been known in that country of his origin that he had this type of uh, behavior or mm-hmm. had some kind of 
criminal um, uh, history around that. Mm-hmm. When he came to South Africa, he was allowed to work with children. Hmm. So what the bill, what the bill now does is that you have to actually have clearance to work with a child. Mm-hmm. You have to have clearance to work with an elderly person or people with mental or physical disabilities. Mm-hmm. So that is now what what it creates. So as anyone who would have to work with any of those categories of pers- people, mm-hmm. um, you would have to then have clearance. Mm-hmm. So if, for instance, um, you are a you know registered offender in your country of origin, wherever that might be, mm-hmm. you now in, in South Africa would also be barred from working with anyone who falls in those categories. But do we register offenders here? So, and, and that's the other thing that I, that I was looking at is that so currently, there is, a, there is a register, but what is not clear is when you are actually reg- registered on that. Mm-hmm. So what the, what the current bill now tries to do is to actually almost like a re- retrospective type of thing where as someone who might be in jail mm-hmm. uh, or currently in jail and a, a crime that happened about five years back, mm. you would actually have to be loaded on onto that register. Mm. What it also then allows is uh, some element of it, and I'm not clear yet um, on the bill, but some element of it can then be publicized, um, and that can be made public. But there, there's a lot of issues around that, you know, the, the whole yes. issue of uh, privacy laws and all of those things of the individual. Yes. But there's, I think there's, there's other ways that the bill tries to kind of um, cover that. Um, in fact, it's not this bill. So there's a fourth bill that talks about it's the Victims uh, Services Support Bill. Mm-hmm. And in that one, we are actually uh, making a case that part of the, the way in which the communities, um, the families, and the individuals that have been affected by this uh, particular crime, that uh, the government must publicize mm-hmm. when a particular of, uh, criminal or offender is, is up for, for parole mm-hmm. or is, up, is, is about to be released so that the community is aware of that. Okay, let's um, take let's and take that a, and that helps us. Yeah. yeah, let's take a quick break because there are some uh, other questions that I want to ask you around sexual offence and how it's defined. Oh uh, eight nine one one zero four two zero seven and WhatsApp co- questions can come through on oh six one four one zero four one zero seven. SAFM values your views. Be an active citizen. Okay, thank you so much for staying with us. What we are interrogating are the three bills that were put forward by President Ramaphosa. Uh, for gender-based violence and we are unpacking them slowly one by one Ignatius France is an advocacy and training manager at the Justice Desk and uh, please you all were you welcome to to ask questions if you you're not clear about anything um, or you know just how you feel about them 0891104207 or you can send your voice notes on 0614104107 Ignatius I, I wanted us to just get clarity on the definition of sex offender Okay, uh, <laughs> so in, at least look when I've tried to read it or mm. tried to find it mm-hmm. um, in these in the d- different books, but at least in my mind, it would be someone. Um, actually, I had it just now. It would be someone who has been um, convicted of the commission of a sexual offence against a child or um, against you know someone with a mental or physical disability or an elderly person. Um, and the the offence, uh, whatever that might be, as defined, I think, in the Sexual Offences Act, um, can be any number of things, whether it's, uh, you know, 
child pornography or it is um, and uh, you know exposing yourself to someone all of the, it, it it has a broad ranging number of things that can be included when you then are charged with a sexual offense of some kind mm. There in in that detail, hey, is the devil. In the detail of what the actual sex offence is, is is the actual yes. thing. Um, okay, no problem. So we were still unpacking uh, the Victims uh, Services Support Bill and, and how okay. that is part of what will then support those who were victimised. Absolutely. So, look, I think I also just need to say that, that whilst... As much as we are excited as a country about all of these developments, um, legally speaking, in terms of legislation, we, we also, as I said yesterday, uh, there is, for us, at least as, as the justice, we need to also focus on preventative measures. Mm-hmm. When all of these acts, as much as great as they are, or these bills as great as they are, they are not speaking to how can we as a country prevent certain things. And so I think at, at least part of the conversation uh, through you and with your listeners, we have to start thinking about the ways in which we can actually start um, to prevent gender-based violence, sexual offenses, all of these things. Um, because by the time you are in need of the law that would, ha- that would support you as a victim, there's so much that you have already gone through. And it's unnecessary, I think, for us to actually, uh, for anyone to have to go through that before we can actually then act. But Coming back to the um, uh, Victim Support Services Bill, mm. it, is, it, is a, it is a good act, or rather a bill, that tries really to create a system that would allow the different departments involved in all of these matters um, to coordinate, to work together, mm. to, uh, to cr- try and create a system of support for any victim mm-hmm. of crimes, but specifically gender-based uh, violent crimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it is... It is, I would say, um, a great idea with the exception that our departments have never been known to be great Mm -hmm. at collaborating, Mm -hmm. at cooperating, or really at working together, even in the small things. Mm -hmm. Um, The COVID-19, I think the COVID-19 pandemic has exposed a lot of those frailties between the departments. Mm <laughs> yeah, no, we we know that. Ex- I mean, what you're saying is not, um, you know, it's not new to us. We we know exactly what the challenges are. In fact, one would even go as far as saying that we're not bad with laws. It's the implementation that becomes problematic. Absolutely, and I mean that that, that therein lies the other issue. So we we draft them beautifully, mm. but the implementation. So it is it is important for us as uh, the NGO sector. For ordinary uh, South African citizens, like you said at the start of the show, it is our responsibilities to interrogate these types of legislation when they come uh, to Parliament because that is our right and it is our duty to do so. So when we then uh, interact with these things, we need to look at it from that point of view about how can we change things for the better? How can we force government to better spend our money and and resources that are needed in different places uh, across the country? Okay, let's just do this quickly and then I'll come back with some voice notes. You're listening to Pimelo Mutine on SAFM. All right, let me go quickly to voice notes for you, uh, Ignatius. Um, to your guest, um, I just have a quick question. Um, I just wonder if this bill also covers the access of South African sign language interpreters in police stations or in the justice um, sector because... 
you know, access to interpreting services has been a challenge for many, many deaf women or deaf people in South Africa where cases are being postponed due to um, not securing sign language interpreters. Does this bill cover that as well? Thank you, um, this is Sibiso. What an important question, Ignatius. Sorry, Pamela, I could not okay. uh, get the question very nicely there. She was asking whether this also means that access to pe- people who need um, uh, sign language interpretation is included in the bill. That, yeah, that is, that is a very important question. So one of the things that we are going to be submitting um, to, to, to Parliament is that the bill does, need, does not, in its current form, actually make uh, provision for the training of police officers and any functionary who would be working with with a a victim of of a particular crime uh, at the local level, so there's no, there's nothing in the act or, or the bill about that. We are going to be fighting for that because um, with all of the different, even uh, all the different sort of helplines, yes. national helplines, all of them are not very friendly to the deaf community in the country. So there are those that are now WhatsApp lines, which is great. But there's there's still a lot that has to be done because as as someone who works a lot with the deaf community in in the Western Cape and in Gauteng, this is one of the crux when it comes to them actually accessing services from their local police uh, stations. There's no one who would be able to help them to to you know to lay a, a charge, and as a result, there's a lot of silence when it comes to gender-based violence in the deaf communities. Mm-hmm or in, in general, people living with disabilities. Sure, that's such an important point. When we come back, I'm going to ask you about other support that police would then need because in as much as what you made, the, you made the point yesterday to say, look, you know, with all good intentions, police themselves are not lawyers. They're not, you know, they're not trained as lawyers. So sometimes they really genuinely don't understand the law. So I'm going to ask you about that. What other support they would need to get? They're also not psychologists, for goodness sake. So what if you arrive and you do need that kind of support how will they assist you so when we come back ignatius i'm going to ask you to elaborate on whether we need to add that to the bill in saying that we need to then train them for that capacity so we will also take your calls on 0891104207 as well as your whatsapps uh, on 0614104107 let me go to utile saku for the latest in headlines at 230 let's have the conversation WhatsApp voice notes on 0614-104-107. Hello, uh, ma'am, at an SAFM lesson. <clears throat> ma'am, can you please ask your, your guest, because as my knowledge, I understand our implementation is in a complex stage and time-consuming. Now, the way he's so sounding so radically way, because it seems like they consider to implement this as a gradual. What program they did already put in place for the issue of development, how we should report the crime, what uh, evidence we should we know how to pick up, and so on. Because uh, remember now we are a layman and South Africa is an, a developing country. Now you can't even want to hold someone accountable for something that we never even developed him to do. Because even according to the law, is denying that. Thank you. I must in Kuruma.
Okay. Ignatius France is an advocacy and training manager at the Justice Desk. As somebody who is a training manager, you would know how to answer this question, Ignatius? Pavelo, I I think I'm in a bad area because I I heard parts of it, but I didn't get the crux of that question. Mm. Look, I'm going to try and attempt to to frame what he was saying. He's saying that he Mm. believes that a lot of people are not au fait with the law. And and we just spoke a little bit about implementation. So he was saying, as people who don't understand the law, how are we going to make it possible that people better understand the offense itself from the victim and the perpetrator? And also he spoke a little bit about evidence, um, gathering evidence and, 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 and for us to be better equipped with what the law then will become. Uh, brilliant, brilliant question. So one of the things that we actually also, when it comes specifically to the Victims um, Services Bill that we are talking about, um, is that element of uh, an educational program through the Department of Justice mm. or the NPA or the police or, or three or any number or any one of them, really, because we noted that there is a lack of understanding of people's rights when it comes to, 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 to crime in general mm-hmm. or just the human rights, in, in, um, you know, generically speaking. Mm. So one of the things is that there is a need for educational programs from the state that are actually going to empower communities. And that is why we, we, we really want to support the uh, Victim uh, Services Bill, just for that one key point that it would allow um, people who are not aware of what their rights are or what the crime is or whatever the case mm-hmm. might be, for them to get the relevant types of information in languages that they can you know, um, process and, and therefore access. You know, so that is one thing. Ignatius, yeah. I think it speaks a lot to the, you know, the failed prosecutions. And that's a good point because, you know, a lot of people walk away very disappointed they, where, where the case itself just didn't hold enough water. Mm. Absolutely. And I think that that is one of the things that we want is that for, for us as communities where these crimes are happening to understand what our role is. Mm. You know, when, when there's a case in front of the court, the, the ability or the, you know, the local community for them to be able to organize and go and put pressure on the court. The role that we play as ordinary people in the legal system is very crucial because you then send a signal to the court uh, and, the, and the officials to say, we don't want this person in our midst. And this is not a call on vigilantism at all, mm-hmm. but it's through that legal process because we did something similar where 200 people showed up at court. We, we, circulated a piece of paper to say this is a petition, uh, you know, going against the release uh, or the bail conditions that the, set, the, the court would have said. They we don't want this guy to be released. He has just raped a five-year-old child. The, the, that person should stay in jail. They should not come out. And the court actually listening to that. And I think people underestimate the power that they can play in these legal processes. You don't always need to be a lawyer, but we need to raise our voice because it is a democratic system where we as individuals and communities are required. So I think it, it is very important that, we, that that type of education is something that we start spreading for people to know that they can play a part in this. Mm-hmm. It is not only the duty of the victim, the victim's family, and those who might know uh, of the actual crime to go to court and support the, uh, the victim. We all have a role to play, and therefore we all must 
you know, try and equip ourselves to the best of what we can. But also that's why we're calling on the state to say, please have programs that are going to empower our local communities so that they know. Because the, the issue of, 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 um, of evidence in a court hearing mm-hmm. is very crucial. Mm. Yet when people see these things, they are not aware of what they have seen mm. and, the, the, you know, what they can contribute mm-hmm. to the legal process. Mm-hmm. Yet they stay away and then they are complaining about the legal process. Mm. But the legal process can only go so far. And in that, uh, you know, in the court uh, circumstance, mm-hmm. they, they work with evidence. So people must come forward and say, I saw this happening. I was there when this happened. I saw him do this. So that the court can then put, that is how we actually engage with the legal process a little bit more. Mm. But for that to happen, we do need to empower our communities. Excellent point. MZ calling us from PE. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, MZ. Now, Pemelo, I'm directing my question to those um, prisoners, let's say, or ex-prisoners mm-hmm. who would have served their sentences, all right? But unfortunately, the sentence was not yet complete. In other words, they would have gone parole, mm-hmm. pardon, clemency, okay? Mm-hmm. But whether or not they were convicted of a sexual offense, all right, or an offense that had a tendency mm-hmm. or proclivity to be violent, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, whether these are covered... And if this bill provides for these parolees, whatever, don't mm-hmm. pardon, mm-hmm. to be electronically tagged. Because, Pamela, truth be told, although we're a country of second chances, mm-hmm. that is, prisoners don't have to put them, they get paroled. We've heard stories of a woman in Riversmith who was raped by someone who was a parolee. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. So, we need to have some building mechanism for these that have been given a second chance, mm. should they default if they can be put back again? And this can be achieved by them being electronically turned. Mm-hmm. Good day, Pamela. Thank you. It's, an, it's such an interesting question. I'll come back to you, Ignatius. Let's just take a quick break. And I'm going to expand a little bit on that because we also know that the issue of restraining orders has not necessarily succeeded in curbing the actual crime. So people do go ahead and have uh, protection orders and many of them still, re- you know, they, they, they still remain, um, you know, under a lot of pressure with the person who is the perpetrator and others, in fact, uh, die after that. So this idea of electronically tracing people, I wonder whether this is something that you are advocating to add to the amendment of the bill, but we'll come back to you, Ignatius, in a short while. Let me just take a quick break. Life Happens, weekdays, 1 to 3 p.m. You're still on SAFM. Thank you so much for staying with us. Ignatius France is an advocacy and training manager at the Justice Desk, and we are unpacking the three bills. In fact, now we've added a fourth bill um, that the president has uh, presented to parliament for review, or at least for for comments and and people to add their voices. Um, This is to to deal with gender-based violence. Ignatius, there was a a call before we went to, to a break that was talking about monitoring of people who may have been, uh, you know, parolees or, or those kind of people. Is there something that you guys are working on adding to the bill? 
So thank you, thank you for that. I think it is a very um, crucial kind of conversation to be had. But there are already, I think, mechanisms within uh, the current law as it exists mm-hmm. where certain conditions would be set for that person in terms of movement. Mm-hmm. Um, there is, I think, the case of uh, Jason Ruerder, mm-hmm. if, I, if memory serves me right, where he is currently or was at some point out on bail um, and he had very stringent conditions placed upon him in terms of movement where he can go, what time he might be there. And so there are certain mechanisms in the law that allow for the monitoring of, of people. Mm-hmm. Um, I am not, I'm not sure the, to what extent the electronic monitoring might be useful because that's, you know, in my mind, what, what it conjures up is that electronic bracelet around your ankle. Mm. That might be something that, that, that we consider doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we would actually need to investigate how effective that might be. Um, I, 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 ima- I can at- imagine people putting that ankle thing on a dog or something in the house and just leaving. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there are all kinds of ways of beating the system. You know, just put it on a dog. The dog will be going up and down the yard in the house and you would think it's a person and yet it wouldn't be. So, I, mean, I don't know. Absolutely. But, yeah, but I think what what, what could possibly work is how we you know how we go about that system what are the what are the conditions of bail what are the conditions of being paroled what are the conditions of clemency all of those things and the moment you you kind of go beyond that scope that you can be held accountable Mm -hmm. and i think that is one of the things that we that that needs to be kind of emphasized is levels of accountability because within our systems we have people who can be bought off yes so even when someone you know when someone's bail conditions or whatever conditions have been very stringent, if that person can afford to buy off a police officer who's supposed to be monitoring him, they get away with it. That's an excellent point. Let's talk quickly about the bail and minimum sentence uh, amendment to this bill. So um, the the bill does kind of come into, uh, yeah, it it, uh, starts talking about bail um, and the conditions that, that can be set around bail. Now, I think what is in this instance, I think yesterday we were talking about Tim Gossi Lodge and the bail that he that he had received. Mm-hmm. What is important for us to note is that there is no kind of nexus between the crime that you that you may or may not have committed versus the, the amount of bail that is set. That is such There's an important no kind point. Of, that is such yes. an important point. So, so what 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 that then means? Is that you could you could you could you know have murdered or been mm. accused of murdering someone, mm-hmm. and you can get off with two hundred rand bail. So what? You know, what? The con- the, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So the 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 circumstances around that person who is in front of the court is what the court then takes into account when it comes to bail. You know, questions of whether you have the means to evade. Uh, bail or to run away or to intimidate the victims. All of those things do come in front of the court. And there's like, I think, almost an entire section of the Criminal uh, Criminal Procedure Act where it talks strictly on what the court may and may not consider when determining issues of bail. Hmm. You know, but in this this instance, yeah, I'm listening. How is it something, you know, how, how can that be influenced by the public? In other words, you've heard many, many times, I'm sure you've seen it yourself, where people are outraged by the amount of bail that was given uh, to a person, right? Um, 
and and where it just doesn't seem to fit the crime. And you've just made such an important point. I actually didn't know that, that it has got nothing to do with the crime that you are said to have committed. It's it's around other circumstances. So how how does that get yes. influenced? With I mean, with the now proposed bill. So uh, let me just quickly try and find this um, the place where it talks about the the bail condition. But it, it basically all it, means, it says is that the court must take other considerations. Um, considerations in this instance when we're talking about gender-based violence, for instance, mm-hmm. whether, um, you know, if you and I are in a domestic partnership, mm-hmm. whether I could then influence you or intimidate you mm-hmm. or any number of those things. So mm-hmm. those are some of the conditions that the, that the bill now tries to introduce. Mm-hmm. But importantly, and I think this, this is one of the most crucial things, is that as, as you are granted bail, let's for argument's sake say I'm the accused mm. and I'm being granted bail, the court then can issue or can you know, establish an inquiry into whether um, it is necessary for a protection order to be issued. So it, it becomes almost an automatic uh, function of the court at bail proceedings to say this person, would, I, I would be able to you know, influence you or cause some kind of harm um, to you unless there's a protection order in place. So that protection order becomes an automatic function of a bail hearing to protect the, the victim and to say to the, to, to the accused, if you break these conditions, you will be arrested immediately and you will go to jail until your actual trial begins. Hmm. So I think that is one of the isn't crucial parts of the, of the bill that, that it brings. Yeah. Isn't the figure itself meant to be the the thing that kind of remands you or, or not? Is that not why the price is determined at whatever level it's determined at? So in other words, so if you what, are high risk, yeah. I'm trying to understand why the need to have a protection order instead of making the amount unattainable. I, I, I'm trying to understand the technicalities around that. Or just so not, grant, think, or just not granting the bail. So, <laughs> if the, if, so, so <laughs> I'm trying to understand the, the, the fine line between if someone is themselves a problem, right? So if this person, it was a violent act and the community is not safe because this person can go and finish the person off, right? Why then are we discussing yeah. a protection order instead of saying, no, we're not granting bail? What's the fine line there? So I think the, the, the other uh, important element is that at, at bail, uh, when it's a bail proceeding, there is no conversation around the guilt or innocence of the sure. actual accused. Sure. That is, that, is, that, is, that is a crucial part. So that um, what the bail tries to do, and you know, whether you get a 2,000 rand or 50,000 rand bail condition, mm-hmm. is that it tries to ensure that you are invested enough to come back to court. That the, the bail tries to then ensure that you come back to court for that hearing, mm-hmm. because at that moment, whether you are guilty or innocent mm. is not in question. The only question that that is then um, the, the court you'll hear them talking about in the interest of justice, mm. which might mean a a combination of factors mm-hmm. um, that you know it is in the interest of justice that you be a rep- uh, that you be you know remain in custody mm-hmm. or it is in the interest of justice that you be released mm-hmm. so the court then comes up with that determination based on factors presented to them um, at court this is also where i'm saying the the communities can play a part because the communities can go to court and say look this person if he comes back 
you know, it will cause it will cause um, chaos in our communities. We don't want this person back into our community. Please keep him until the, the court, um, until the, the, the hearing uh, resumes for his guilt or innocence. Fantastic. So basically, at this point, you as a community need to be quite loud in saying, well, in as much as there's the, in the interest of justice, there's also in the interest of the community so that the, the, the court can then weigh the two up. Absolutely. And that is that is for us one thing that we really need to start taking to heart as communities when we are we cannot just to, you know, when when something happens, then we want to be seen on TV saying, oh, we can't believe this person did this and we, you know, we are against this. We need to be actively seen in spaces where these where these types of decisions are being made, Mm -hmm. because at the end of the day, yes, uh, in front of the court, uh, there's two people, there's the accused. And there is the the, the um, there is the victim, but there is always that third person that is always seemingly missing, and that is the community. Mm. And we have a role to play in that proceeding. Thank you so much for all of this insight. We'll bring you back to unpack more. Thank you very very much, Ignatius Francis, an advocacy and training manager at the Justice Desk, and we'll make that available as a podcast. And we will bring him back to just unpack other um, bills that we haven't touched on. I mean, there's a lot to the detail. He said he'd need an entire week, so we'll take it in small chunks and and educate ourselves better.